passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately they called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may have a seat. Well, for those of you that uh, maybe do not know who I am, my name is Matt Naismith, and I'm the pastor for Teaching and Vision of our church family, and it is such a gift and blessing to be gathered together today. We recognize September is a time uh, that a lot of new people are joining or checking out churches. And so if you are new to us and you're here for the first time checking us out, every September we do a vision series because we want to hopefully uh, fill you in on who we are, where we're headed uh, by God's grace. And as Spencer mentioned earlier, our vision as a church is that we desire to see our communities look more like heaven so that every single person has a relationship with Jesus. We're actually very unapologetic about that. We want to introduce people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus changes our lives and that it is good to follow him. Before we dig into our text for this morning, why don't you take a moment to pause uh, to invite Jesus to meet you if this is the first time that you've ever considered Jesus, I would even challenge you and invite you in this moment to say, hey, Jesus, teach me something this morning. I dare you. And my hope is that he truly would. Let's take a moment. And so, Jesus, we thank you this morning that you want to meet us. I pray that we would. I pray that we would encounter you. And I pray, Jesus, if there is anyone in this room that's never experienced a relationship with you, that they would recognize that you stand and you invite them. We're excited about what you want to say to us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you will know this about me. Uh, Many of you will not, especially if you're new. But one of the summer jobs that I had during my time uh, in university was concrete forming. And maybe you're familiar with what concrete forming is. Maybe you are not. But I did this for two summers. And to give you a bit of an understanding of what I exactly did, you maybe need to know the process of constructing a home or building a structure. And usually it begins with a vision. You know, a a family or an individual has a vision for what they want a home to look like. And so they work with an architect, uh, they work with a designer, and they put together a vision for what the home is going to look like. Um, Do we have the PowerPoint this morning? So you can go ahead, you can see this is a bit of a vision of what the exterior of a home is going to look like. Following that, you then get a blueprint for what that home is going to be. And so then you can go to the next slide. And typically people work with contractors and they get their blueprints out, they get their permits, they have a lot where they're going to build 
the home. And then what happens is a surveyor will show up on the lot and they'll mark out where the home is going to go specifically on the lot. And then an excavating team will come in and they'll dig the hole. And then typically the surveyors will come back and they'll have a little stake or a pin where they'll mark it exactly where one of the corners of the home is going to be. And then the concrete forming crew comes in. And we have the blueprints for what the home is to look like. We first form the footings for a home and we measure it out and we go in all different directions and we lay out essentially the footprint of the foundation for the home. And then we pour the footings. And so I have a picture of the footings. This is the footings. And then what happens is that our boom truck would come and bring the concrete forms and then we would set them up exactly to the dimensions of the foundation of a structure and a home. And so then the next picture here is of those forms all being set up. Uh, we supported them with uh, two by fours, two by sixes, a whole bunch of different things to make sure that when we went to then go pour the concrete in, there was no breakouts. And you can imagine that that happens as you pour concrete in, there's you know, breakouts, it's obviously a big challenge. But we tried to structure it enough that we could do that. And we're always checking things twice to make sure that the foundation that would ultimately be formed is what we want it to be, so that the structure that the house is built on will be accurate. And then, of course, I have a picture here of the final foundation. And then the excavators would come back, backfill the foundation, then the framers would come and begin to actually frame the home. Now you might say, okay, what does this have to do with our message today, and why have you used this as an opening illustration? And to that, I want to invite you to consider this question. How many of you have a vision for your discipleship to Jesus? And not only a vision, but maybe even a base-level understanding or end goal for what it means to be in relationship with Jesus at all. You see, for many of us, I would suggest that the Christian life is a matter of one, I like I made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm now a Christian. And then secondly, you move into trying to manage the sin in your life. Period. Therefore, what I would suggest is that we don't have a vision for the type of discipleship and relationship that Jesus himself invites us to. Because Jesus invites us to a life of radical discipleship in his ways which is not just simply refraining from sin, but reorienting our entire lives around him. Well, how do we then get there if this is the vision? And this is where our next value as Church of the City meets us. And it is this, as disciples of Jesus— we desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did. For it's when we desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did, that we obey what he calls us to do, ultimately resolving to not only learn from him, but also act like him. We then move from simply participating in generic faith to living explicitly with and for King Jesus. And what we call this process in Church of the City is formation. We begin with where we want to go, and then we pursue habits that form like the concrete forms that I showed us on the screen before of the formation 
of, a, of the foundation of a home. So what are the forms? You know, you can begin with any sort of hobby that you have in your life. At one point in my life, I trained for a marathon, and we began with the vision in mind. At the end of this, on race day, I want to be able to run 42.2 kilometers without stopping and hopefully be alive at the end of it. You know, that is the vision. And then from there, with a couple of friends, we worked backwards and said, okay, what are the things that we will, I will need to do that we will do together in order to get to the place where we can actually accomplish that? That's what I'm talking with here. We begin with a vision for where we want to go in our relationship with Jesus. And then we work backwards and say, what are the things that I'm going to participate in that will participate in forming me into that foundation? There's a book written by a guy by the name of John Tyson, and it's called The Intentional Father. And it's about having a vision for being a good father. But more than a good father, he talks about five types of fathers in the world. He says there are irresponsible fathers, ignorant fathers, inconsistent fathers, involved fathers, and then intentional fathers. And what he suggests is what separates the intentional father from the rest is that the intentional father takes time to understand his son and daughter's unique personalities and tailors his parenting to match what the, the child needs. It moves beyond, well, this is the right thing to do and moves into, this is the right thing for you. And the same, I would suggest, must be said of our spiritual lives as well. And there's an invitation of Jesus before us to this type of life. Now you might say, well, I think I'm doing okay. I don't really have a plan of formation. What's the big deal? And here's the danger of not having a vision for formation or even a formative pathway. Is that you and I, whether we recognize it or not, are in an all-out war in our world against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And each and every single one of us are being formed every single day, whether we want to recognize it or not. You've maybe heard it said before, but uh, by me, but you know, if, if you say and you're not giving your parents, you're not parenting your kids very well, and sometimes people will say of Christian parents, it's like you're very controlling over your kids and you're trying to lead them in a particular direction. And just purely as a parent, I recognize that if I'm not intentional in my parenting with my kids, my kids will be discipled by whatever they're watching on screens, whatever they're taking into from their friends. And I don't believe in the vision that their friends may have for them more than I believe the vision that we have for them as kids. So Rihanna forms your child or you do. Uh, this past Thursday, I sent you a Puritan prayer and this was another uh, section from one of the prayers that I read this week in my prayer time. And it hit me in a particular way as it relates to this danger of not being, having a formative pathway before us. The author prays, Deliver me from the natural darkness of my own mind, from the corruptions of my heart, from the temptations to which I am exposed from the daily snares that attend me. I am in constant danger while I am in this life. Let the watchful eye ever be upon me for my defense. Save me from the power of my worldly and spiritual enemies and from all painful evils to which 
I have exposed myself. This prayer illustrates an important point, which is all of us are being formed. It's not a matter of if, but what is forming us. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus who desire to be with him, to become like him, to learn from him in order to do what he did, we need to be practical about our discipleship to Jesus. And so what are the forms as I use the analogy of a concrete foundation, what are the forms that we can introduce in our lives to, to, in order to shape us into the type of disciples that Jesus invites us to be in his word? Well, in order to do that, I want to begin with the passage that I read for earlier. And then for the sake of simplicity, we're just going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to point out different things that Jesus includes and models for the discipleship in order for them to become the type of people that he's inviting them to become. So I'll read it again for us. This will be on the screen. The rest of the scripture will not. So once again, get out your Bibles if you'd like. So passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately they called them and they left their their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. First thing I think it's important for us to take notice of, Jesus' invitation, but then Jesus' vision for their discipleship. Notice he says, follow me, and then what's the vision? I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is inviting these young men to an all-of-life formation as they're leaving their career at this stage to follow him in order to become fishers of men. There's then the desire, and this is something that I touched on last week as it relates also to encounter. Do you desire to respond to this invitation? And immediately we read, they left their nets and followed him. These first disciples desire to follow Jesus clearly. They desire to be with him. And so as we begin to reflect on this formation, do you desire to be with Jesus. Does this desire transcend your other desires, which may be good desires, but compete with this one? Do you desire to be with Jesus? Let's continue. How does Jesus go about forming these fishers of men, according to Mark? There's going to be 13 ways. They're going to come at you quickly. Firstly, in Mark 1, verse 21, we read this. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he and was first formed. Now, it even in some sense suggests synagogue. Throughout the Gospels, it's unavoidable the emphasis that Jesus places on teaching and instruction. The Gospel, the good news, is not solely a lived experience, it is also a proclaimed word. This is an emphasis on learning from Jesus, something we emphasize in the wording of our formative value. You know, it would also be worth potentially emphasizing the fact that Jesus does not avoid the rhythms of the Jews in his culture towards synagogue participation. 
in participating in a regular rhythm of gatherings of people, there is a formation that happens there. Now, clearly, Jesus teaches in the fields. He teaches in a boat in the, in the sea as, there, as the rest of the people are watching on the shoreline. So it's not simply that teaching only happens in a synagogue or in a formal setting. But there is an opportunity in the formal setting if it's allowed within the culture that we live in, a blessing that so often we take for granted. What's another formative piece to discipleship to Jesus that Jesus includes in his directing and pathway of the disciples? Mark 1, verse 34, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and who would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is Jesus modeling to his disciples the miraculous. And we see it throughout the gospel as healing and casting out demons predominantly. And at this stage, by being with Jesus, the disciples are watching Jesus heal. He's setting forth for them an example, an example that they will one day be commissioned to then go and do and participate themselves in. If you go to the very next verse, Mark 1 verse 35, we read this of Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. What is Jesus modeling in this? Silence, solitude, and prayer. You know, a fun Bible exploration exercise would be to go through any of the Gospels and take notice of all of the times that Jesus steps away on his own to be with his Father in solitude, silence, and prayer. The entire rhythm of Jesus' life and movements follow his alone time with his Father. And as disciples of Jesus... We cannot avoid this form in our own formation. If we keep going, Mark 2, verse 15, this is a fun one. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. First formative practice, feasting and life around the table. Here we see a common practice of Jesus with his disciples, feasting. Mark 2, verses 19 to 20, we also read, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Speaking of Jesus as the bridegroom. In Matthew 11, verse 19, we read this about Jesus who in that text is referenced as the Son of Man. We read, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Followers of Jesus are to regularly gather around the table together and feast and know that the Lord is good as we partake together. Secondly, also what we see in Mark 2.15, but then also in Matthew 11, verse 19, is that there is in the life of Jesus a propensity. I looked at other words for propensity. Fill it in with what you would define as propensity. Propensity towards those on the margins. Propensity towards those on the margins. The ministry of Jesus is marked by his tendency to show particular care, support, and time with those who are on the margins of society. And so therefore, what we can understand from that is that clearly this is a key formative practice for those who follow Jesus. For as Jesus says, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. As followers of Jesus, 
Are we pursuing places where those on the margins are? The next one, Mark 2, verse 23 to 24 and verses 27 to 28. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Now we could certainly talk about Sabbath here. But there's something else I want us to take notice of. Wisdom and discernment in understanding the scriptures and correcting false teaching. Jesus models for his disciples a redemptive hermeneutic, meaning understanding the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he repeatedly corrects the religious elites in regards to their hypocrisy and their improper understanding and application of the scriptures. This leans, as I would suggest, into the spiritual habit of discernment. For we as followers of Jesus are invited to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We then go to Mark 3, verse 34 to 35. And looking about at those around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever is my brother and sister and mother. This is a defined family and community. Jesus provides emphasis on the family of God as those who do the will of God versus the biological family. Fascinating. How about Mark 6, verse 7 to 9, and then verses 12 to 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is formation of faith in action. To become like him and learn from him in order to do what he did. Jesus sends out the disciples as they are in progress in their discipleship. They haven't made it, and he then equips them for ministry. You know, many of us, and I've heard it time and time again, I can't go out and share the gospel. I can't do faith in action until I'm further along. Some call argument that at this stage in the Because then in the next chapters, we see Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And some of them are confused. Yet they've also been sent out in twos, to heal and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we need to see faith in action as a formative practice. How about Mark 8, 34 to 35? And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would lose his life, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the formation of denial of self, bearing our cross, and following Jesus. You know, there may be no better summary of the life of discipleship and formation than what Jesus says here. Mark 10, verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus is speaking to the surrender of our possessions and our treasures and our discipleship to him. 
Jesus frequently teaches on the danger of money throughout the Gospels. And he invites us to surrender everything that we possess to him for his purposes, which is hugely formative. Mark 12, we're almost there, 30 to 31. Jesus says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love of God and love for neighbor. This is love defined by Jesus most clearly understood in his life, death, and in his resurrection as formation. Or how about this one? You may not have recognized this one. Mark 15, 37 to 38. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is death as formation. You know, in a culture petrified of death. I think we could say that, could we not? What did we just live through over the last three years? What are we fearing and what are we doing in formation to prevent from happening? Death. Jesus models death to his disciples in both anticipating it and graciously dying through suffering. But then death does not have the final word. Mark 15, verses 5 to 7 And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Then you will see him just as he told you. What is the form here? resurrection. Jesus' knowledge of his resurrection shapes how he approaches his death. He tells the disciple three times that he is going to die and come back to life, and yet they're still surprised when he's come back to life. And this should shape then how we think about our lives, our death, and what Jesus promises is our eventual bodily resurrection as well. In summary, Jesus invites his disciples to an immersive formation experience born out of a desire for his disciples to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did. Now, there's a lot, obviously, to the ministry and formation of Jesus' disciples. And so you may be going, where do I start? Right? Those are 13 ways. Which one do I begin with? There's a book by the name of The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Vilatus. And in Rich's book, he recognizes what he would say are five rhythms or values for what he would say for modern disciples of Jesus in the climate in which you and I live. Places to start. The first one he mentions mentions is the contemplative rhythms, slowing down our lives to be with God. Contemplative rhythms. 
He then goes on to say racial justice, examining a multi-layered approach to pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, propensity towards those on the margins, welcoming other people into relationship, understanding another's experience and empathizing with them. How about interior examination, looking beneath the surface of our lives to live free and to love well. How many of us truly feel like we live free? He goes on to also talk about sexual wholeness, exploring how our sexuality connects with our spirituality. If there is one formative pathway in our culture, it is that of sexuality and sex. We therefore, as followers of Jesus, need to pursue sexual wholeness, connecting once again our sexuality with our spirituality. And then the fifth one he mentions is missional presence, living as the presence of Christ in a broken world. And mission is what we'll look at more next week. I also mentioned last week a book titled Disruptive Witness, Speaking the Truth in a Distracted Age by a guy by the name of Alan Noble. And in his book, he argues that in the imminent frame, if you missed that message last week, you can find it on our podcast, but in our existence of living in the imminent frame, he suggests this, we need to cultivate habits of contemplation and presence that help us accept the wonder and grandeur of existence and examine our assumptions about meaning and transcendence. As a result, he prioritizes silence, saying grace or prayer, and also Sabbath. And we've provided lots of teaching over the years, last few years, on Sabbath keeping. I want to also introduce something else for you. I know this is a lot, but it's called a rule of life. It's on the screen now. What you can simply do is take a piece of paper and create four sections. One is for daily, one is for weekly, one is for monthly, and one is for annual rhythms. What are habits that you can begin with, begin with on a daily basis to form you? What are habits that you can begin with on a weekly basis? What are your habits you can begin with on a monthly basis? And what are habits that you can begin with on an annual basis? You know, many of us begin honestly with too big of things, right? We go, I'm going to spend an hour every day in prayer. Praise God that is your desire. Good luck. Start with two minutes. I have no problem sharing this with you. When I was on sabbatical, I said each week I'm going to increase by five. So week one on my sabbatical, five minutes of prayer a day. Week two on sabbatical, 10. Third week, 15. I took 12 weeks. It got to be a long time. But I worked my way there rather than starting with three hours. Start small. You can also check out a resource called Practicing the Way practicingtheway.org for how to bring habits not only into your personal life, but also in life of your missional community or groups. And then in closing, how are we pursuing this as a church community? We pursue this one in learning and in shaping. Our aim is to be a people formed by the scriptures, learning and unlearning what it means to do like Jesus. We want to be challenged by the scriptures individually and in community and in this to fall more deeply in love with the author God. You know, there was a lot of scripture as part of my message this morning. If you spend any time with us, uh, with Church of the City, on Sunday mornings and in our missional communities, there's going to be lots of scripture. 
We're not trying to get away from it. We're trying to get more deeply into it so that we can understand it and apply it in our lives. And we do this obviously on Sundays, but then are also our desire is to see that in missional communities that we're learning and unlearning. Because if we're honest, some of us have bad habits as it relates to our discipleship to Jesus. And then spiritual practices. Our desire and discipline is to be formed through spiritual practices that create an environment where God's spirit will transform us. The disciplines and practices are a means of God's grace to us, and therefore we think of them as such. And we want to provide teaching, resources, and environments where these can actually flourish. And once again, that happens on Sundays. That also happens in missional communities, which I believe is the most ideal place for the practices together of saying, hey, what are you working on? Let's work on it together. Five minutes of prayer every day, everybody. Okay, and next week we'll talk about how that went. Putting faith into action and practice together. So as we conclude, a couple of questions and then a couple of verses to remind us of the foundation of all of this. One, what do you desire? What do you desire? What is your vision for your life with Jesus? Is it, well, I've been converted and now I'm trying to manage the sin in my life and each week I'm trying to sin less than the last one? Secondly, who do you want to become? What type of person are you becoming? And then how can you begin to plan to get there with people, places, and habits that form you? Like forms that form a concrete foundation, what are the forms that you're pursuing? And then in closing, as our worship team comes up, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, some of us are going, I'm bad. I don't have habits. I'm a bad human, and God is mad at me. Brothers and sisters, that is not Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you hear words of condemnation, that is not Jesus. What is Jesus? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Praise him for that so that no one may boast. So no one can stand up here and say, I'm better and closer to Jesus than all of you because I take eight minutes and you only take two. It is Jesus. It is all about him by grace through faith. So we give this time to you in worship. We thank you for Jesus. You're not leaving us to our own devices, to the dangers of this world, but inviting us to deeper relationship with you through life formed by you and habits that you show us in your word and in your discipleship. Amen.